For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, Monday afternoon, and just finished my rehab. Uh, let me see if I can do the Pasha, say something about the Pasha today, which... I'm going through my sponsorships from when I was in the hospital. And this one is from Eric Smith, uh, who I haven't had the pleasure to meet, except I know he's all the way out in Iowa, in Des Moines, Iowa. So uh, <laughs> there's, I'm, I'm sure the Jewish community is not so big, and the front community is even less big. But so I'm very grateful, and thank you, and for all the good wishes. And let's take a look. <clears throat> At uh, Parshas Yisro. The, um, my, I just did the Shnai Mikavet Targum, and my attention was drawn as uh, we go. Well, before I do that, let me address something. I got an interesting um, email from Yehuda Tannen, a former student of mine, who says, I hope you're feeling better. Your cover is going well. I was listening to your podcast from last year. Parshas Yisro, and he said it seemed to you, based on the parsha, that if the whole Jewish people were united, even for a short amount of time, amazing things would happen. That's based, obviously, I must have said last year, Vayichan Yisro, and they got a har since they actually had a, a genuine unity. So the Ten Commandments were given. So Yehuda's writing to me. I was somewhat young at the time, but I remember when the three boys were kidnapped in Israel a couple of years ago, and it seemed to me for a brief period that we had. We're in fact united, but I don't, as far as I can tell, there was nothing that happened as a result of the unity. I was wondering if you think there was a change then, and if there was no change, then why? Which is an interesting question. That, however, is a question of theology and philosophy. I'm not a theologian or a philosopher. Um, but I, I can offer a guess or two, because it's actually a very interesting type of question. Because there is some truth, but not entirely, to the fact when those three teenagers were kidnapped and killed, everybody dobbing for them, and the whole Jewish people came together. I remember even, I happen to remember even Yair Lapid said, I'm not from, but I went and looked around in my house and found the Tehillim, and I said some Tehillim for the boys, and so forth. That is true. But the easy high school way of answering this is when it happened and it was 100% unity. That's what that means. 100% unity you never get. So in modern state of Israel, even when Jews are under attack, um, you still got the Torah Karta and people like that, for example, and some people on the left. Not everybody was united. That's the easy way to get out of the question. Not everyone was united. Um, I would say most Jews were, but they're always a fraction that were not. Uh, I'm sorry that's the case. And as I said before, it's a very good question, and it brings into relief that, I mean, even the Six-Day War, I remember there were some Satmer, not the Rebbe, but there were some Satmers who said they hope Israel loses, and the Rebbe, like, cussed them out or something like that. I'm simply saying, we got our share of nuts out there, you know, and... Uh, you know, like the guy said, you don't have to be crazy to be Jewish, but it helps. It does help. So, 
I don't think we had That's a cheap way out. I think it's truth to it, but it's a cheap way out. You stirred my uh, thinking with that question, which is always what a good question is. You know, when you get to graduate school, you understand the questions are more important than the answers. And um, I just would offer the following. Yes, what good thing happened from that unity that they had when those three kids were killed? First they looked for them, the three teenagers, you know what I mean. Um, nobody knew it, that they were killed right away, but that's what happened, sadly. <clears throat> um, taking the long view, I would make the following observation. First of all, Israel had like a war. And, uh, you know, in Gaza, uh, involved with that. And, um, and Israel went in with unusual unity. And if you remember, even the Yeshiva guys were driving, bringing pizza, pizza to the soldiers before they went into battle. I think you remember this. It's one of those Gaza wars. And Israel had very few casualties. In fact, if I remember correctly, maybe my memory's playing tricks with me. Uh, there was somebody that they fought over who should keep the body, you know, the corpse, because the Arabs wanted to keep the corpse, to use it as a bargaining chip against Israel. And, and, and they didn't, or something like that. Uh, so Israel was pretty successful in that war. Um, not the success that we would all hope for, but how can you have that? Now the Gaza Strip is a whole separate entity and it's, uh, it's, it's fortified like Stalingrad. So the Arabs would actually welcome Israel coming in and losing a lot of men, which is why Israel doesn't do it. But I would, this is just a pure guess on my part, but I would say the following because I don't think people remember realize this. Uh, I don't remember what year that was, but it was, what, t 10 years ago? Something like that. When this incident happened, uh, they had that fight in Gaza. And then there were four years of peace when there were no attacks from Gaza. That was Donald Trump's term in office. It's interesting. You know, say what you want about the guy. But I recall that, you know, uh, there were no Gaza wars. Maybe that was the result of the unity. I don't know, you know, they got some peace. Feisachnisht. It's a good question. But in general, in the time of the Torah, there really was a Ishechot Levechot, which is why God stopped him right then and there and said, let's do the Torah. Um, to the degree that you get unity, even if it's 50 or 60%, we also get good things out of it. I would propose the four years of peace. Um, and right now Israel is, is, is profoundly fractionated, as we all know, over the BB stuff, over the judicial reform business. Uh, but to, to be able to point and say, because of this unity, that specific thing happened, um, that you have to be, as they say before, a prophet or a theologian or something like that. But the question is a very good question. Uh, me, myself, and I, my attention was drawn when I did today's Shnaim to the very interesting and very difficult to translate uh, Pusik. In my old age, that's what I noticed more. We all know that the beginning of Parsha Yisro shows up, as they say every year. And, uh, you know, you see the father-in-law, son-in-law dynamics. You know, father-in-law immediately says, you're a failure. You know, good, I'll tell you how to run the country, you know. And 
Moshe says, whatever you say, and then Moshe kicks him out of there. By Yishalach, you know, Moshe says, Yisrael, by Yishalach is Hifil, I mean, Peel. You tell him, hit the road, Jack. You know, <laughs> the cab is waiting. But, uh, but in the specifics of it, how do you read the Pesukim? So, if you look at Pasigutes, this is actually not easy to translate. This is Yisro talking. Listen to my voice and I'll give you an Eitzah. And God will be with you. That's a phrase that, that, that doesn't admit of simple translation. The Hebrew doesn't work so clearly. You should be for the people opposite God. Now, you could re- translate it differently. You know, next to God or something like, in place of God. Yeah, there are different ways. But mul in general means opposite. He should bring the matters to Hashem. So, as I said before, Mepharshim can impose unilaterally an interpretation on the words. But it seems to me, not that I'm uh, Elio Bacher or anything like that, I'm not the world's expert in the Hebrew, but just a basic Hebrew, I know. Hey, I told Amul Elohim. It's just a, a a strange phrase. You understand? It's a strange phrase. Now, you know, Rashi has it his way. You know, and and and, and the Rashbam and the others. Uh, Rashi's is on, you know, not so pushup shoddy. Hey, I told Amul Elohim. Shliach Amelitz Benosalamakam. You should be Mulahim, you should be an intermediary. Mul doesn't mean an intermediary. I mean, I hear that shot, you know, you could say that. So that there's the people on the one hand and there's mo- and there's there's Hashem on the other, and you'll be the one in between to carry the message from A to B and B to A. And that's what the words say though. It, it seems to be much more mystical, some, some something mysterious here. Hey, I told um Elohim. Is this a funny expression? Um, which is why, you know, the different Mepharsha, thoughtful Mepharsha, in my opinion, um, you know, see it somewhat differently. For example, um, because of this problem, so uh, the Bechorshah says, Mul Elohim means Elohim and not Elohim, that was based in. Hey, I told him Mul Elohim. You be the one who, who is opposite Beisden. In other words, you be there as the final consul for the Beisdens. Uh, and be like the Court of Appeals or something like that. All right, that's cute. You know, Elohim is is, is not Kodesh, it's whole. It can sign, no question about that. Uh, obviously, the whole enterprise is a strange one because the Torah is coming to take the trouble to tell you this whole business. Uh, it's pretty clear that the people wanted to be judged by Moshe. Uh, as I've said many times, you see over here a profound insight into economics, which is if you give everybody a million dollars, a week later, two people have the money and everybody else doesn't. Everybody else has shares in a swampland in, in New Jersey, you know, because clever people get the, excuse me, clever people get the money away from the people who have the money, as they gate us. It's very hard to, to fight against that. The only thing the Torah can do it's like rejiggle everything every 50 years you get your land back. But then the process will re- will resume. The same 
you know, land sharks, real estate sharks will come and jump you and get your land at the beginning of the next yellow, yellow cycle. I mean, you can't change human nature and economics is based on human nature. It's humanistic discipline. Uh, that's just a fact. But the basic idea over here that if you'll appoint intermediaries, you appoint a judicial system, it'll go better. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. Plus, and, and you know, Yisro does not dispute the fact that um, you might get a better ruling from Moshe himself. He's just saying it's going to wear you down. Noble people, you, you know, it, there's the logistics of it. One person can't judge the whole country. It'll drive you crazy. So one shot, the plain shot is, it'll drive you crazy. You'll get worn out. Um, and therefore, it's better to have some kind of judiciary for the purpose of efficiency. You know, uh, bust in a bottle, you know. Then if you don't have an efficient system of transacting judicial affairs, uh, then, then you get injustice. Now, I'm sure every pulpit rabbi in the world this week, since... In Israel, they have all, all the judiciary fights. We'll use this uh, cleverly, you know, somehow or other to comment on the current events that are going on now in Israeli politics. But if you remove yourself from that, just look at it plainly. He says, It's, it's too heavy for you. There's a, a multitude of cases. So th- that's true. But if that's the case... The Torah is not such a hatzikatziyayim. The Torah is being sold as God's word, perfect law, better than the Geisha laws. But Lamaisa, if it turns out that you just have to hire a bunch of people to be judges, who knows if they get it right? And who knows if they operate it fairly? And, you know, if their own interests don't get in the way. In the course of Jewish history, if you go by the Bible anyway, it seems the Jewish court system broke down. Certainly the prophets say that all the time. Almost, for example, Yermiel, others. Yeshayol, uh, think of Shabbos Chazon. You know, uh, what is it? Katsine Sedom. You know, Rodfim Betz or whatever. Whatever language is. Um, people want a, a, a pure justice system. But it's not so easy to get that. Okay? It's not so easy to get that. And every law system in the world wrestles with that. So that part is true. But uh, what are you supposed to do with Moshe over here? Yisra basically says you have no choice. You have no choice. But he says, It sounds like you have to be, to me, to me, it sounds like you have to be, you know, the, 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 the representative of God, as it were. But on the other hand, he's telling them to decentralize. So, you know, how does that work out? It's just not clear to me. You understand? And th- I don't think it's clear to anyone, which is why they all give these unusual uh, shots. I mean, Unclus himself says, uh, you represent the people when they demand teachings from the Lord. Uh, Mul Elohim is intermediaries. It's like Rashi, you know. Uh, but that's not what Mul Elohim is. Um, now, I like the uh, shot of the uh, Avmeda Rambam and the Ralbag who say 
that Moshe was worried, or maybe this is a very from shot. Yisra was telling Moshe, you're being worn down in your Ruchnius. Um, here we run across the famous question you find between the rationalists and the mystics in the Middle Ages. The Rambam says that unless you're a highly unusual person, now Moshe was, of course, but uh, a highly unusual person, it's not possible to, as we would say today, to have dvekas all the time, to think about God 24-7. Really, 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 a judge is supposed to, ideally, a judge is supposed to have a case come before them, and he should be seeing Hashem there, and he should have that as he works his way through the case, and issues the final ruling, Elohim needs to about sale, as they say, and so forth and so on. But if it's a complicated case, you got to look it up, you got to argue it out, you go through the so, so to speak. I mean, you got to concentrate on the law per se, and you got to think through the ukimtas, and you got to weigh the arguments. So you don't have time to think about God standing there. I mean, in a general way, you know it's a from court, and you know you're representing God. I get that, but on a lamaisa dika basis. It's an ideal that cannot be reached. Now, it's not only a case of judging cases or learning kosher mishpat, in which case you have to concentrate on the material. Uh, therefore, you can't think about God. But any kind of um, serious endeavor, like a doctor handling patients, or a lawyer with the clients, or a business person or business enterprise, you can't be, you can't honestly like double task and say. On the one hand, I'm thinking about the business uh, question, you know, whether I should write up this contract or not. On the other hand, I'm thinking about God 24-7. What I just said is the Rambab, who says, I've read it before, I just don't have the energy to go pull it out. The Rambab says, Avon Yitzhak okay. But, uh, in other words, people with Ashkocha Pratis. Uh, now, Moshe did. Because we're told Moshe was up there for... This is the Rambam, not me talking. He says, Moshe was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And that means he lived a miraculous existence. So he wasn't subject to the usual stuff. So therefore he could, main, he could maintain his dvekas, which means his thinking about God all the time. Even while he's double-tasking and doing other things. But another person couldn't do that. Um, that could mean... You'll be, for the people, opposite God. Now, you always think about God. The people can't do that. And the Dayanim can't do it either. Because they're not supermen. Uh, especially when we know that the people of Moshe God, as Rashi points out, were not Sony Betsa, you know. They were not unbribable. They were bribable. I'm not saying they were bribed. But they were bribable. He says, you know, you should get Anshi Emes, Yer Elohim Sonny Botza. And at the end, he got Anshi Achayel. But he didn't get the, the other parts. There were people. Uh, you, Moshe, are different. Hey, I told Elohim. You can be holding that you're in the presence of God mentally all the time. That's what I think is the Pshat. Uh, 
Avram ben Aram doesn't use those words, but he, he it boils down to that, at least as I understand him. You know, uh, where let me have it here somewhere. Where is it? Avram ben Rambam. Yeah. Um, that Hashem will give you, you, the opportunity, the wherewithal to maintain the dvekas that you want. Um, the Ralbag, interesting, says kind of the same thing, which is, if you follow my advice, then, you know, the task will never be so heavy as to interfere with your dvekas. Uh, let me see now, where would the Ralbag be? Uh, this must be it. Yeah. Shlotatrid machshavtacha bedavar acher veveisa atolf neims advarmashi yashiluch al derek hanavua utvoch hanavua misal advekesh yotamin imashem yisala. That you, Moshe, will hand over the job to the Judges, but but any problem they have, will, they'll bring to you, and you can immediately talk to me, because you'll be holding by your dvekas, which is necessary for the nevuah. Uh, to me, that's the you know the best sense, even though it's very mystical. Um, however, the uh, Ramchal, and no, the Mekabalim, in opposition to the Rambam, say that anybody or you know. Any normal person who gives the full court press, who really tries, can uh, can achieve this. Um, this is the famous chapter on Kedusha in the uh, Mesilsi Sharm. It's like the last chapter, or one of the last chapters. And I remember he says, it's not really possible for a person to do it, but you may be able, if you give it your best shot, maybe God will grant it to you as a matter of grace. That Tchila has to be a Hishtadlus, and then the sofa will be the, uh, whatever the word is, the grace. The God, the, the matana maybe. Uh, so any person, it's, it's a lot of work to do what I just said before. you got to train yourself in a certain type of meditation. You can double task and triple task. I'm a mother, I'm taking care of my kids, I'm giving them lunch, and I'm also thinking about God. I'm a lawyer and I'm involved in a Supreme Court case, and everything depends on the argument I present, but I'm also thinking about God. I'm a doctor. I'm doing, uh, you know, an open heart surgery on cats. And while I'm thinking about this and that and the other and the valve, I'm also thinking about God. I mean, it's easier said than done. You know, everybody can talk like that. But it doesn't mean it's, it's, it's really there. Uh, Yisro, therefore, according to this shot, is assuring Moshe in a very complimentary way, whether he meant it or not, it's not so clear. And he's saying, Shema b'kol yatzacha v'ilhim I'm going to give you advice, and it won't stare your dvekas. Hey, I told him, Elohim. You will be, for the people, the person who's Mula Elohim, who maintains the dvekas for everybody else. And because you'll be holding by the dvekas, like the Ralbag says, so you'll be able to just talk to God off the cuff, which we see happens, for example, with the Benos Slavchad. Remember, they came and they said, what about us? Our father didn't have any sons. What, we went to Karka, and Moshe did not know the answer, which is not a problem, 
But what did he say? He said, Im Duveshma by Zavashem Let me let me open my, my cell phone and ask God the question, and you'll get the answer in a second. And it happened that way. Well, geez, a whiz, I would like to have a phone like that. You know? Everybody would like to have a phone like that. At least I think so. That you can just talk to God like that. A regular Navi, who wasn't on the level of Moshe, of course, would have to go through all kind of permutations and meditation and, you know, and, uh, I mean, look, I don't know, I never did it, but the Ralba, uh, what's the name, the Ramchal, and Derek Hashem, his whole chapter, how he understands, you know, with the music and the uh, swirling and the imagination, all the different things it takes to attain the Vu, even at the lowest level, and uh, it's not so easy, okay? Moshe can do it just like that. And so what Yisra was saying to him was, Novel Tipo Amizashari Moch. Yisrael, now again, this is a very frummy shot, but at least it kind of makes sense at some level. What is noble Tebow according to this? Not that you'd be physically exhausted, but the, but the, the burden on you, the exhaustion, noble Tebow will reduce your Navua, will reduce your Dvekas. You won't be able to handle it. You get it, it'll wear you down. It's too heavy of a burden to try to think about God on the one hand, uh, especially in a Moshe Rabbeinu type level, which requires a great deal of effort. It's not just, you know, like a movie or something like that. Think of what it requires to maintain the kind of dvekas by somebody like Moshe. And at the same time, judge 10,000 cases a day. You know, every time Tikkun comes, and said, it was a horse, it was a mule, it was a horse, it was a mule. He stole from me, she stole from him. This and that, and the other, all the stupid things that people bring to courts because it's important to them. And you're listening to the two cases and you're thinking about Hashem. Well, he, you know, basically, Yisrael is saying like this, that won't work. If you have, if you have a um, buffer, the judiciary then you'll be able possibly to do it. Because, let's put it this way, two people come in and start screaming at each other, as happens in Basins, I'm told. Uh, and he says this, and she says that, and this one, this, that, and they scream at each other, and they bang the table, and so forth and so on, and a good time is had by all. Uh, that's a pain in the neck to listen to. Now, if you do the Yisro system, it boils down to this. Uh, as I understand it, um, the, the, the two litigants come in and they spend an hour cussing each other out and tining and this and that and the other. And it boils down to he claims this and she claims that. Right? That's what it boils down to. So if it's a hard case, a competent judiciary, whether or not their bribe is, is irrelevant to what I'm about to say. A competent judiciary will be able to use their language skills, their legal skills, to sum up the whole thing in a sentence or two. You get it? She kind of says, and he kind of like this, and what do you say? So in that case, if the uh, frivolities, stupidities are reduced, and all Moshe Rabbeinu has to do is deal with the you know, abstract legal question at hand, uh, then 
that you can take it right to God if you don't know the answer. Because presented in that short form, a person can handle the dvekas as well. If you have to sit there and listen back and forth, up and down, and all the, the shtick from the litigants, uh, even though somebody has to do that, if you have to do it that way, it won't work because they'll drive you crazy with all the individual arguments. So Moshe Rabbeinu, until then, was sitting all day long and the people came to him and they fidrate him a cup because that's what happens in a basin. They fidrate you a cup. Now your job in a regular basin is to sit there and take it. That's why they pay you money if you're a dying. Uh, I'm not talking about one of these basins where they intimidate people. I'm talking about a real honest basin. So you have to listen to the whole business. But when it's all boiled down, so the Yonim get together and say, basically we have, you know, two tinas here in the part of the plaintiff and three tinas on the part of the defendant. I mean, they used a lot of words, but you strip it all down, it, it, you know, it, it comes out to this line and that argument and this argument and that argument. Now, facing a note situation, we decide based on the post whatever it is, you know, which arguments prevail in this case. That... A Moshe Rabbeinu could t- handle. That's what Yisrael argues anyway. That, you know, hey, Atolam, Mul Elohim. If you get a buffer and a judiciary, now they will bring you um, summaries all day long because it's a nation of 600,000 men and an equal number of women and so forth. So there will be a lot of cases out there. Uh, however, if you set up you know, Anshe Chayel, Sari Alafim, Sari Meos, and Sar Chamishim. So basically, um, the lower courts will hear the actual screaming. They'll pass it to the upper guys. If they can't figure out, they'll pass it to the upper guys. By the time it reaches Moshe, uh, it'll be pretty streamlined so that the essential arguments will have been worked out by the guys directly below Moshe what we would call the Supreme Court. And he can then take it to God and say, look, you know, i got a case here and a case there, and Hashem will tell him. And it won't, and, and the reason he'll be able to take it to God is, you know, it, 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 like I said, his dvekas will not have been shared. So it's not just a vort from the Ralbag, or I've been a Rambam, it's the essential meaning of the Pusik, that the entire judicial system will be one in which because it's, uh, you know, uh, layered and has different echelons, the stuff that reaches all the way to the top will be fairly few, and there'll be naughty cases, K-N-O-T-T-Y, there'll be naughty cases, but, you know, they can be expressed in a pretty short way. There's even a din like that, you know, what they learn from Shlomo Melk, that the judge has to say, the time is over. Uh and that's because you want to reduce it down to as efficient a manner and, and, and bring clarity. Um, otherwise, when you have a lack of clarity, it's, it's terrible. So Moshe wasn't being excused, according to Yisro's uh, suggestion, from judging the cases. He was being excused from being the direct judge of the cases. He was instead being moved to a different echelon, which is one where he deals with the abstract questions, I guess, um, take into account the particulars of the situation. That is a Atolam Mulohim. 
and and God will still be able to remain with you because you won't be crushed in that way. This was the suggestion of Yisrael. And Moshe, let's put it this way. Um, so in other words, my point is, it's not that the judges will will settle everything because they're so great, but the etimatis of a buffer is just essential to Moshe Rabbeinu, who at the end of the day is a human being and can't get crushed by all the, um, the details. Today we call this good organization. In a good business, the boss should have few things to deal with. Hopefully the people underneath him, if he has good employees and heads of sections, they should deal with the with the smaller junk. And the kind of thing that will reach the boss's desk hopefully will be a clear issue in which you simply need a decision one way or the other and that will left to the, top, to the top guy. I think that's how Yisro's plan uh, seems to work out. Otherwise, why would it say, Hey, Ato, Mul Elohim? Uh, so anyway, I want to thank uh, Merrick Smith and everybody in Des Moines, Iowa uh, for sponsoring this. I think we're out of sponsors as a result of now. And with that, I wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.